Thanks for listening to the Wellspring Church Podcast. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Good morning. It's good to see everybody on this long holiday weekend. No school tomorrow. That's exciting. Um, at least for some, some of us it is anyways. Some of you still have to go to work. Um, I still have to go to work tomorrow. What am I talking about? Um, my name is April Colquitt. I'm our children's pastor here, and I serve on our communications team. It's good to see you guys. I am so excited about what we're going to talk about today. We have been in a series for the last several weeks called Under Pressure that Trey has been teaching, and today I'm going to wrap up the last week of this series, and I cannot wait for what we're going to talk about today. But first, like many of you, I'm sure, this has been a very well-timed series in my life. Um, We've been talking about the trials and the pressures of life, and there's not necessarily been any one thing for me lately, just a series of circumstances that happen that come our way for many of us, um, just the stresses and pressures of everyday life. And so just like some of you, I've been saying, gosh, this couldn't have come at a better time. But honestly, the content of this series, I believe Trey could have taught at any moment in time, and we probably all would have said the same thing. This couldn't have come at a better time, right? (laughs) Because we are always facing trials and pressures and stresses. It's just not something that we can escape. No one is, is exempt from it. And so, um, for me, this has just been a perfect challenge for me in my life to do what we've been saying that we should all do, which is consider it all joy, right? And so, um, if you haven't been here, if you've missed some of the weeks, I want to challenge you because this is so relevant to everybody's daily life. Log on to to the Wellspring app or download it if you don't already have it and go back and catch up on what you've missed. Every week, Trey has been pointing us to one sort of foundational belief that is key to helping us thrive in the trials of life. And that foundational belief is this. It is that God is good. If you come to Wellspring very much or you've listened to us much online, we talk a lot about how we believe that God is good because that is a key to us thriving in life. If you don't believe that God is good, you've lost before you've already started. Believing that God is good is what allows us to look past our circumstances as Trey's been challenging us to do. If we really, truly believe God is good, then we are able to have perspective in our pain. That means that even when things aren't going the way that we want them to, when life is really hard or we're walking through a circumstance that's causing us stress and pain and it's really difficult, We can trust that because God is good, we can trust that he's doing something good in our circumstances. We can have perspective in our pain to know that God has a path and a purpose for our pain, that he will use it for good. And ultimately, what we've been learning is that God's purpose for our pain is to make us more like him. And for me, I truly believe God is good. If you are not sure you believe God is good, go back and listen to week two of the series because Trey addressed how we can know and know and know and trust that God is really good. So if you're not sure and that's something that you're still wrestling with, go to week two and listen to what he says. It might help you. 
but I truly believe that my God is good and I have seen him do good in my life. I have experienced his faithfulness, I've experienced his goodness. So when I am going through a hard time in my life, my tendency is to look towards the good outcome. I wanna know, God, I know you're good and I know you're gonna use this for good, so what is that good thing you're gonna do? Could you just go ahead and tell me what it is? Who's gonna benefit from this good thing? How are you gonna turn this and make it good? I become fixated on that good end result. I wanna know. But we can't always know what good God is doing. We cannot always know. We will not always fully understand or even see the good that God does. And we can't do anything, try as we might, to manipulate God's good outcome. But there is something good, there is an end result that's really good that we know about, we just don't think about it very often. And it's this, heaven. Heaven is good. Heaven is a part of God's good plan for us, and we know about it, but we don't talk about it very often. When is the last time that you heard someone talk about heaven? Probably in relation to a loss at a funeral or a memorial service, that's typically when we think about and talk about heaven. And it makes sense because we are so wrapped up in the day-to-day life. We are trying to figure out how to navigate our life here on earth because it's really hard and we need all the help we can get figuring out how to get through the day-to-day. But we become so distracted by what's right in front of us that we forget God has given us the hope of heaven to motivate us and to help us endure this life. This is not our final home. This is not it for us. We have the hope of heaven. And so I wanna wrap up the series today by talking about the hope of heaven. Because whether you are in a hard season right now or not, you have something to celebrate you have something to look forward to because you have the hope of heaven. If you have believed in Jesus and surrendered your life to him, this is not it. That is good news and that is something for us to celebrate and rejoice about this morning and that's what we're gonna do. For me, when I'm going through something difficult in my life and I'm feeling under pressure, There are some verses in the Bible, some passages of scripture that are sort of my go-to verses that bring me encouragement and help me to endure those trials. And one of them is found in Romans chapter eight. Romans is written by Paul and we know Paul here at Wellspring. If you come, you hear us talk about him a lot. And I love Paul because Paul was no stranger to trials. He was not a stranger to what it felt like to be under pressure and to face persecution and difficult situations. When he surrendered his life to Jesus, he became so passionate about telling people about Jesus that he willingly put himself in the face of persecution and courageously faced those challenging situations because he wanted people to know about Jesus. And what that meant was that he was often arrested and put in prison, beaten, tortured, because he was telling people about Jesus. And so to think that Paul writes all these letters to us to help us know how to navigate the trials of life is just super motivating and inspirational for me. Because if Paul could find ways to endure through all of that pressure, then we can too. 
And in Romans chapter 8, I love it. It's like Paul gives us a great pep talk. It's like a halftime pep talk for those of us who are following Jesus. And so I want us to go there. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles or on your Bible app to Romans 8, he begins that part of his letter by talking about um, the, the freedom that we have in Jesus when we put our faith in him. He says, when we have put our faith in Jesus and we've believed in him and surrendered our life to him, we are no longer subject to the consequences of sin. And he explains that the consequence of sin is death and decay. But when we have put our faith in Jesus, we are then led by his Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, death is canceled and we're given freedom. We're given life in place of death. Our mortal bodies will suffer. Our mortal bodies will decay. But in Jesus, we have the gift of life through his spirit. And so he goes on to explain it this way. I want to pick up in verse 14 if you're following along. Paul says, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Paul's basically trying to help us understand that Jesus did not come to rescue us from sin and death and then leave it be. He came to rescue us from sin, and then God did not say, all right, good luck out there. That job is taken care of. Hope you guys make it. He did so much more than that. He brought us into his care, and he made us his children. Not just like his children, but we are his children. So I want you to think about the quintessential childhood for just a moment. The childhood that we all dream of, maybe not the one that you had, because not everybody has a perfect childhood, and we know that. But think about the kind of childhood where there is a parent who provides everything that that child needs. Food, shelter, clothing. The kind of childhood where there is a loving parent who makes those children in the home feel safe and secure and loved and known and well cared for, nurtured. Paul is saying that what Jesus did for us on the cross helped all of us made it possible for anyone who believes in Jesus to belong to a loving heavenly father and we get all the benefits of being his children. All the benefits of being his children. My children have some friends who are like my kids because they spend a lot of time with them and they've spent a lot of time in our home and we know them really well. And I've even said, that one's like one of my kids. But I'm not paying for their orthodontics or their car insurance. And the school does not call me for teacher conferences because I'm not the legal guardian. Paul is saying we're not just like God's children. We are God's children. He has taken full legal responsibility for us. He tells us this. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Adoption to sonship means that God has taken full legal responsibility for us in every way. And the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit. That means his Holy Spirit recognizes us as one of God's kids. He recognizes us as his own. And here's why this matters to our conversation today. Paul says, now if we are children, 
Meaning, if we have put our faith in Jesus and we are God's children, then we are also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. An heir is someone who is entitled, legally entitled, to the property and the estate of someone else at an appointed time. And Paul is saying, we are heirs to God, to the kingdom of God. Jesus is God's first and only son, so of course he's an heir. He sits next to God in heaven. He is the prince of heaven. But as God's children adopted into sonship, we also are heirs, not third or fourth in line, not second in line to the kingdom of God. Co-heirs, Paul says, equal with Christ. That means that we are entitled to everything that is a part of the kingdom of God. Every part of the kingdom's estate. So if I was your estate attorney, which I never will be, let's be clear about that. If I was, you might say, well, what is included in my estate? What is included in my inheritance in the kingdom of God? And I would say, well, first of all, it's the freedom from and the forgiveness of sin and shame. That's done, paid for, taken care of. Secondly, our inheritance includes a new body, a brand new immortal body that doesn't age, that doesn't wrinkle or turn gray, a body that does not need a workout plan, a body that can have all the chicken wings and milkshakes that it wants. Doesn't that sound good? Sign me up. We are entitled in the inheritance of the kingdom of God. We get a life that is without pain, a life that is without suffering, a life that is without grief or sadness or heartache. None of that exists in heaven, and we get to experience that. We also get a brand new, beautiful incredible home that is more grand than anything HGTV dream home ever thought about being. John, who was a disciple of Jesus, God gave him a vision of what heaven would be like, and he recorded it in the book of Revelation at the end of the New Testament. And John describes heaven as being made of pure gold, pure gold and jewels. And he says there is a crystal clear river that runs through the middle of it. And that there's no sun or moon because the radiance of Jesus is so bright that he illuminates all of heaven. And there is literally the sweet smell, a fragrance that fills all of heaven. That sounds amazing. Who doesn't want that? If you are a daughter or a son of God, it's yours. That is what your inheritance includes. That is the hope of heaven that we have to look forward to one day. That will be our new home. We will get a new body and there will be no more pain or suffering. But there is a fine print that Paul mentions, just a little fine print. He says this, as co-heirs with Christ, we are co-heirs if indeed, he says, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. He says, as co-heirs, we will have to suffer a little bit. And we know that. It's what this whole series has been about. 
We know that life does not come without some pain and suffering and some trials and some obstacles. But I want you to think about it like this. Jesus, God's son, the prince of heaven, left his throne in heaven and came to a broken world willingly, lived among us as a man, walked among us, experienced every pain, every brokenness that this world has to offer, and then he willingly went to the cross and endured all the sin, all the pain on the cross for our benefit. He did that for us. He endured it for our benefit. And so Paul says, if we are to be co-heirs with Christ, equal with him, if Jesus suffered, then we're going to suffer too. If Jesus did it, we do it too. We follow him. But nothing that we suffer, nothing that we endure will compare to what Jesus endured on the cross. Nothing can compare to that. He took on the whole weight and sin of the entire world at one time. So nothing we endure will compare to that, nor, Paul says, will it compare to what we will see and experience when God's goodness and glory are revealed in heaven. Paul says it like this. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul, who suffered a lot, said, this is how I think about it. I try to consider that the suffering I know now will be seemingly a blip on the screen when I see Jesus face to face. If you were here in week one, you might remember that um, Trey showed us a picture of a magic eye as an illustration for how we can look through what's happening on the surface of our life to what God might be doing beyond that and think about how God is working in and through our circumstances to do something more than what we currently see, to get a different perspective. And I want to go back to that magic eye picture right now, and I want to use it to help us illustrate something else. I want to try to help you get a visual for our suffering. This magic eye picture is made up of over 2,700,000 pixels. A pixel is a tiny little image put together with lots of other pixels to make one graphic, one picture like this. And so let's just imagine for a moment that these 2,700,000 pixels represent the moments of our lives. Some of those moments will be good moments. Things we'll celebrate like birthdays and anniversaries and babies being born and job promotions and new friendships. And some of those moments, some of those pixels will represent difficult things in our lives, hard seasons of loss and stress and financial stress and all of the difficult things that we have to endure in life. Now, I want to zoom in on one of those pixels. This big green square is one of those tiny, tiny pixels, extremely magnified. And when we're going through something difficult and painful, it feels super enlarged. It looks like a big green ugly blob staring us in the face. When we're going through something hard, it's hard for us to see anything else, and it feels so big. 
But Paul says that compared to what we are going to see and experience in eternity in heaven, it really is more like this. Seemingly nothing. Now listen, there's still a pixel on the screen. It's right there, a tiny green dot. You can't see it from where you sit, but I promise it's there. It's no bigger than the end of a ballpoint pen. A tiny green pixel. In the moment, in this life, it feels huge. But when we see Jesus in eternity in heaven, it will be seemingly nothing. A tiny pixel on a screen. Now, I don't want to diminish anything that you're going through right now. I know some of you are in the middle of some really hard circumstances. And God absolutely cares about every detail, every pixel of your life matters to him. But Paul is saying, be mindful and consider that one day those pixels of our lives will be seemingly nothing when we see Jesus face to face because we will see his glory and his face revealed and it will be so amazing, more incredible than anything we could possibly imagine. Right now, it's hard. In fact, Paul goes on in Romans 8 to talk about how all of creation, not just people, not just us, but all of creation, all the earth is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. I would love to know actually what Paul knows about childbirth. <laughs> I mean, I just, what do you know about childbirth, Paul? I would love to know. Um, we, what we know, Paul wasn't even married or had children. So one day I would love to ask him that. But I have had children. I have three children. And my oldest daughter, she's 17 now, but when I was in labor with her, it was 22 hours of hard labor, 22 hours. And I will spare you all the graphic details. <laughs> but I will tell you that Eric, my husband Eric, and my mother were pretty traumatized by that 22 hours. <laughs> but when the nurse handed me Allie, and I saw her beautiful copper red head, and I held her in my arms for the first time, she was perfect and beautiful, and I wasn't thinking about the last 22 hours, not for a second. Jesus says that our time on earth will be just like that, that we'll forget all about it. Just before he's arrested in his final hours with his disciples, he begins to prepare them and talk to them about how difficult their life is about to get because he's leaving, and he's trying to prepare them for what's coming. And here's what he tells them. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. We will see Jesus again. We will see him face to face one day. He promises us that. He doesn't keep it a secret. He tells us to help us endure, to motivate us 
through the difficulty of this life. He says, you will see me. And when you do, your joy will be full and it will be final. There will be no going back to pain and suffering and heartache and the troubles of the world because you'll be with me in heaven. That is what we have to look forward to. This world right now is hard and it's weird and it feels upside down and inside out and stressful, but that's because of sin. And if we're a child of God, if you are a son or daughter of the king, you are not subject to the consequences of sin anymore. You walk with the power of the Holy Spirit and you have a hope in heaven. Our hope is in heaven. This is what we have to look forward to. We will have a new home and a new body and there will be no more pain and suffering, no more hard pixels. We have that to look forward to and so regardless of what difficulty this life brings us day to day, we always have something to celebrate and we always have something to look forward to. And I love that. That gives us motivation to endure. It gives me motivation to endure. Sometimes I find myself saying, Jesus, come quickly. I want to be with you in the presence of heaven. But if that is too much for you to envision right now where you currently are in life, I understand. And I would just like to remind you that God is not that far away. Remember, he did not rescue us from sin and death and then say, good luck, kids. Hope you make it. He gave us everything that we need to navigate this world that is not even our home. He gave us everything that we need. He didn't just give us the hope of heaven. He also promised us his presence today. We have the promise of God's presence that he is here with us and among us right now. Right now he's here. When you put your faith in Jesus and you believe in him and you surrender your life to him, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. And Paul says that the Holy Spirit is the first installment of our kingdom inheritance. He's the first installment. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to get the kingdom. We get it right now through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. That means that we have full access to everything that is part of God's kingdom. We have full access to his love, his joy, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness. We have full access to his wisdom, to his power, to his guidance in our life to help us navigate a world where we are just passing through like aliens. He's given us everything that we need. And Jesus says that as a child of God, we also have the authority in him to ask for anything that we need and he will give us graciously and generously what we need. That means that we don't have to wait to experience the abundance and the joy of heaven. We can have abundant life right here, right now. It just gets infinitely better on the other side when we don't have the distractions of life, when we don't have the distractions of a broken world. We are still going to hurt. We are still gonna feel sad. We're still gonna experience difficult things and hardships sometimes, but not as someone who has no hope. And there's a difference. 
I love the way that Paul says this. He says in his letter to the Corinthians, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. He's saying it's hard, but we are not destroyed because we have victory in Jesus. Jesus has already won. And as sons and daughters of the king, that means we have nothing to be afraid of. We have nothing to fear because Jesus has already won. Jesus has won. And I love that Paul also says we. He doesn't say I am hard pressed. He says we. We are in it together. That's another benefit of being a child of God and our kingdom inheritance is we belong to a big family, brothers and sisters in Christ, and we endure it together. We depend on each other, we lean on each other, we encourage one another, and we bear each other's burdens. Paul says, we are hard-pressed. We're in it together. I actually want you to experience what this, hear, what this sounds like and what it feels like. We're gonna do something together. I'm gonna ask you to participate with me in something because I want you to hear the we that Paul is talking about. So I wanna read this verse again but I want you to help me read it. I'm gonna read the parts that we are, and I want you to read the but not phrases. Can we do that together? But I need you to channel your inner Paul, okay? Paul is full of passion and confidence, so much confidence and conviction. So I'm gonna need you to channel that confidence and conviction because we have our hope in heaven. All right, I'm gonna read the we are, and you're gonna say the but not phrases, okay? We are hard-pressed on every side, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, struck down. We are not destroyed. We have victory and hope because of Jesus who has already won. We are co-heirs with him and we have the hope of heaven and the promise of his presence with us right now. We are not alone. And I wanna point you to one more thing before we close. One more thing that I want you to think about because if you are a son or daughter of God, if you walk with the hope of heaven and the power and the presence of God every day, if you are a co-heir with Christ, then that means we can begin to imagine the hope of heaven for everyone. Think about it like this. Every person will spend eternity somewhere. Every person that you know, every person that you don't know, your family members, your friends, your neighbors, the people that you see in public, every person, not just Christians, have an eternity somewhere, either in eternal life or in a conscious state of eternal death. That is the consequence of sin. As children of God, we're free from it. But someone who has not met Jesus, who does not have relationship with him, is not free from the consequence of sin yet. So as children of God, as co-heirs with Christ, we share in the mission, the quest, to bring the hope of heaven to everyone.
Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And we are on a mission as he was for us to bring the hope of heaven to the rest of the world, to everyone. And heaven is not a private party. It's not an exclusive country club. Everyone is invited to heaven. But they have to know about Jesus. And they have to put their faith in Jesus. And they have to find hope in him and surrender their life to him first. Which means that for us, the way that we live our life, the way that we respond to pressure in life, can demonstrate the hope that we have in Jesus for someone else. It means that we can bring them that hope. The way that we make decisions and the way that we respond and the way that we live our day-to-day life represents the light and the hope of Jesus, and we can help others find that. I want you to think about someone you know who does not have the hope of Jesus. That they are crushed by the weight of the world. They are in despair and they do feel abandoned. You carry the hope that they crave. They may not even know they crave it, but in their souls they crave it. And we carry it. We bring it to other people. So for you, what that might look like is talking about Jesus and the hope that you have in him to the people around you. It might mean you invite them to church with you. It might mean that you share your story with them to tell them about how you have found hope. But that is part of being a child of God. We share in his suffering. We share in his glory. And we share in his mission to bring the hope of heaven to everyone. As we close, I want to read you a psalm, what one psalmist wrote as he looked forward to the day that he would see Jesus. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. The psalmist is saying, I want to be in your presence, God. Whether here in this life or with you in heaven, I cannot wait to be in the presence of the living God. And one day we will be. But even now we have his presence with us to help us endure the day-to-day. We're not alone and we have each other. I recognize that there might be some of you in this room who have never trusted Jesus and you're not 100% sure that your hope is in heaven, I don't wanna leave today without giving you the opportunity to secure your eternity because you will spend eternity somewhere. And Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are many rooms and I am going there to prepare a place for you. That means he wants you in heaven with him. He is preparing a place for you and he has so much more to offer you than anything this world has, than anything this world has. And so if you have never trusted in Jesus for the first time, if you've never surrendered your life to him, I'm gonna invite you to pray with me. 
Will we all just bow our heads and close our eyes? And if you're ready to trust Jesus and surrender to him and receive the hope that he has for you, you can just repeat this prayer after me. God, I know that you love me and I believe that you gave your son Jesus to pay the price for my sin on the cross. And I believe that he rose again in three days and that because Jesus lives, I can have life with you. And I'm choosing to trust you and surrender to you. I wanna follow you and be your child. I want you to just keep your eyes closed. And if you just prayed that prayer for the very first time, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to share that with me because I wanna be able to celebrate with you and we wanna be able to encourage you. And I know it's a bold step, but you can think of it like you're reaching out to God for the very first time. So on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you just to hold your hand up if you just prayed that with me. One, two, three. Hold them up high. I see you. Thank you, I see you. Thank you for being bold. Thank you, I see you. Thank you. You are a son. You are a daughter of the King now. You are a child of God from here on out. Thank you. Hold them up high. You can put them down. Thank you for being so bold. Heaven is throwing a party. You can look up. Family in the room, Wellspring family, we have new brothers and sisters in Christ. It is the best and the most sure decision you will ever make. And now, if you've just made that decision, you have the hope of heaven and you have the promise of God's presence with you from here on out. You do not have to walk through life hurting and alone. You have a family who wants to support you, brothers and sisters in Christ, and you have God's power that goes with you everywhere you go. His wisdom and his love and his strength are with you. As we close, just be encouraged. I hope that you leave here encouraged today and celebrating that you have hope in heaven, that this is not your final home, that there is so much more waiting for us. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of heaven. Thank you that we have an inheritance waiting for us and that you've already given us the first installment in the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are with us here right now, among us, in us. And I pray that your love would pulse through our veins and that the hope that we have would bring others to know you that we would carry your hope everywhere that we go and that it would be a demonstration of your love for other people. Thank you that you don't keep secrets from us, but you let us know you fully 
and that you have told us about the hope we have in heaven, that we might endure this life. All these things we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.